Um, I have been having problems of my own with uh, making sure I rest on the Sabbath. And I was wondering if you guys, I've already like been over the like scriptural like rules and things um, that are in the Old Testament that aren't like our solid regulations anymore with um, other people. But I was wondering if you guys could share examples of how you guys make sure that you get rest on the Sabbath. Okay. Yeah, maybe I'm just going to remove the word Sabbath just for sake of not confusing. Um, because we're not, we're not bound by the Sabbath, which is why we, even though we have a Saturday service here at Compass Bible Church, uh, the Sabbath is technically Saturday. It's the seventh day. Um, and in the Old Testament, there were laws that governed that day, how much, you know, what you were supposed to do. Um, you weren't supposed to do any work on the Sabbath. Then the, the religious leaders, the Jews, the, the Pharisees, uh, they added stipulations to that. Like, how many steps can you take? How many twigs can you carry? Um, even today, if you go into uh, religious Jewish buildings, there's an elevator that's the Sabbath elevator that you can get on it and it will stop at every floor so that you don't have to do the work of reaching out to hit the button to, to go to the floor. So when we talk about Sabbath, that term can have a ton of baggage with it. As the church, we're not bound by the Sabbath to keep the Sabbath, but resting as believers is a biblical concept and something that we should be doing. So maybe we can take it from that point of view. Is How do you guys uh, make sure that you are getting rest um, as believers? Do we have, we had one, we have one mic. Do we have two mics up here? Okay, we've got two mics. Um, why don't I put one on this side of the room and then you guys can have that one. Paul, just, you just had some rest. Why don't you talk about your rest? Sure. Not to put you on yeah. the spot. So uh, our rest, uh, I would say my, my wife strongly influenced that, that uh, we needed some rest to get away and spend some time, um, especially because she works weekends and I work uh, weeks. So having that time, especially for us as a married couple to get away, um, doesn't as much apply to you guys. But uh, I think the concept in general of taking a break from your responsibilities. Um, right now, I'm working and also applying to school, so I can relate to some of your guys' uh, doubling down on that with, with work and school and trying to go to church and relationships and serving. Um, and that can, that can take a huge toll. And um, it's very healthy to rest and it's healthy for, to come back. It was uh, the first time I think I've been away for Compass for three weekends and it was just such a refresher to come back and be excited to see everyone here excited to um, go to just a normal uh, service and hear Pastor Mike preach. It just, it's so healthy to, to have that time. And so um, I would say regular periods of like a break where you can get away from that and get away from even just cell phones and things was incredibly helpful for us. And you went to New Zealand. We did. Did you see Frodo? Uh, no, but we did go to Hobbiton. I it was pretty amazing. Yeah. In a geek kind of way, right? Which we all are. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's okay. It's okay. Yeah, good. Yeah, so getting away, getting, uh, breaking your routine, getting, changing your environment, like physically changing your environment even can be helpful. And I know sometimes that's hard because you're thinking, well, I don't have the budget to go on this great vacation or anything else like that. But, you know, for some of you, that may just be you're taking a day trip up to L.A. and hanging out in a different place that isn't normal for you. Um, you're kind of breaking the routine that way. It's, it's a, a good way to, to rest uh, in that sense. What else? Uh, I don't know. 
nowadays. I was just going to say, sometimes you have to be very intentional with your planning in that way. And you have to remember the reason for rest um, and the reason why you would take a break from something and step away from it. In women's Bible study this week, actually, the speaker compared us to truckers on the road that drive the big rigs. (laughs) No, but if you you think about it, they're... (laughs) She compared that to someone who um, sits in a Tesla and has the car drive for themselves and they just sleep in the car and they're just kind of coasting through not really knowing what's going on. Whereas a trucker has to be awake and alert and focus on what they're doing because they're trying to earn a paycheck. They're trying to get to a goal. They have a job to do. But within that time frame, they may be going across the country. They have to stop and rest. They have to take a break. But they're not taking a break because they're like, well, my favorite show's on and I want to, or I like this town, so I'm going to stop here. They're taking a break from their job in order to refresh and regenerate in order to get back out on the road and keep going from there. So it's also important to keep that in mind when you're thinking about rest. It's not just, well, I haven't rested. I haven't taken a break from everything in a couple weeks, so I should just do it. It's You have to be intentional in taking that time because it's supposed to then make you ready to go again. Yeah. Pastor Mike says it this way. He says, we, we rest to work. We don't work to rest. Does that make sense? Do you see the difference there? Uh, so it's not that we're working, living for the weekend. Like I can't wait until Saturday because then I can finally take a break. It's, it's inverse inverted. It's we're resting so that we'll be more effective um, in our work and in our service of the Lord, which is what Amanda was just Which is not an easy thing to do because our default is to work in order to get to the rest, which makes it really frustrating when our rest gets interrupted by other people or by other things or doesn't go as planned because we don't have the right perspective on the reason for our rest. Right. Right. Yeah. And and the other thing I'll just challenge you guys on is I, I think all of us can do more than we think we can. Um. I think we, we run to, man, I need to get more rest. I need to get more rest. I need to get more rest. If you're not sleeping at night, okay, that's one thing. That's healthy for you. But guys, we're, 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 we were created to work. Um, work is not a result, of the, a result of the fall. Adam and Eve were working before the fall. Um, they were called to tend the garden, right? I mean, that was God put them in the garden to keep the garden. That involves work and labor. So even when we die and we go to be with the Lord in the new heavens and new earth, there's going to be work. All of us are going to have a role. We're all going to have a job. We're all going to have something that we're supposed to do. Um, It's not going to be under the curse, which is what we're suffering under and why we don't like it when we have to work. But, you know, God gives us 24 hours. He gives every single person 24 hours, same amount of time in the day. We can do more than we think we can. Um, and he's faithful to, to enable us to do that. Yeah, good, good opening question. Good job. What, what else? Other questions? Okay, let's go to, to Alex, and then we'll come back to you, Guadalupe. Do you want me to stand up, or do you want me to? You can just ask sitting down, man. We're, we're resting right now. <laughs> uh, so I've been kind of giving uh, mixed reviews about this, though. So it has to do with uh, fasting, though. And uh, I've been kind of... Uh, getting confused about it sometimes because I, when I was uh, being warned about gluttony, uh, gluttony a few years ago. And okay, those are different things, dude. Glut- no, no, gluten. Uh, so, like, people will warn you about gluten, and some of them can get pretty intense. Yeah, yeah. Gluttony is also bad, though. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. But let's, so, gluttony we're talking about. So, in a sense of like saying, hey, you should fast about this because it, it, you know, it might actually think about this. But then, as I went to, um, sorry, let me start over. So, Basically, not forget the whole gluten thing. Okay. So, 
Okay. And gluttony. So for the past few years, I've been always getting mixed reviews about fasting, though. Okay. And I'm like saying, okay, should I fast or should I not fast? Because I'm kind of, because a few friends of mine are saying you should fast about right. this or saying, you know, I shouldn't go. Right. And I know that that's kind of a Catholic thing. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if that's well, a, it's a biblical thing. Fasting in general, just as a concept, is a biblical thing. But it's not health-related, okay? okay? So we should never fast to drop pounds, all right? That is, that is garbage, okay? Um, the, the reason we fast is because we're seeking the Lord in prayer over a decision in our life, or we're fasting because we're praying for God to intervene in somebody's life and do something to help them or to save them. Uh, and the reason why we fast is because every time then our body feels that pang of hunger, that says, man, I'm hungry. I want to go to the, the cupboard right now. It's a reminder to us to pray. So that's really what fasting is doing. That's why it's a spiritual discipline. It's because it's doing something. Our body is naturally going to grade against that because our body wants food and was designed to need food. So our fasting shouldn't be for unhealthy amounts of time. It's not a way to like spiritually be anorexic, right? Or, I mean, fasting is about spiritually engaging with the Lord saying, I'm going to set aside today, even 24 hours. I'm going to set aside breakfast and lunch. And when I'm by four o'clock, when my body is screaming for food, it's going to be driving me to go to the Lord in prayer for the thing that I'm praying about right now. So that's what, what fasting is really aimed at in the Bible. It's a, it's, is it commanded you have to do this and this is the frequency you have to do it? No, it's not. But is it a good thing to do? Is it a part of spiritual discipline? Yeah, I think it's helpful uh, for us. Is this a follow-up question to fasting? Yeah, go for it. Can you give us some scripture references? For? For this topic? Yeah, I mean, Jesus talks about it in, in, in essence in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7 there. He says, when you fast, he, he says, don't, don't put on a gloomy face and show up letting everybody know that you're fasting. He says, when you fast, get up in the morning, take a shower, put on the cologne or the perfume, quaff your hair making sure that you look like you're, you're good to go and go out and go about your day. Because he says it's not about a public thing. It's about a, an inward relationship between you and the Lord. The other instances in the New Testament where we come across fasting are few and far between. Um, I think the Apostle Paul fasts and, and uh, lays hands on, on people on his missionary journeys some, but that's what I'm driving at. This is not like a, a biblical command like pray without ceasing, right? Uh, you know, Jesus doesn't say fast without ceasing, you guys understand that that would be suicide, yes? Okay, good. I'm glad we're on the same page on that. So, Sarah, in answer to your question, there's, there's, that's part of the reason why there's so much mystery and, and mysticism around this concept of fasting, because there's not like the, uh, the, the epistle from Paul where he gives specific instructions for fasting. Jesus says, look, when you fast, make sure that it's a you and God thing and that it's not a you and everybody else around you knows that you're fasting thing, right? Does that make sense? Cool. Guadalupe, you have a question. Matt, down, down front here. Uh, my question, my qu can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. My question is, uh, well, I've been having trouble with this because I don't know what to do in, in a situation like this. When the sage helps when it's come to your door or the moments come to your door, how do you guys deal with that? How, what do you guys say? Because I've been approached, and, and for me not to be rude, mm -hmm. I take the word and say, yeah, yeah, well, I, I would like to meet, but um, I'm trying right. to basically tell them, when I meet them, I'm not interested, right. but here's my belief. Right. 
But right. I, don't, I don't know what, what you guys... Yeah. What have you guys done? I'm sure you guys have had Jehovah's Witness or Mormons come to the, your yeah. door. Actually, a lot of times when people come to our house, we are at work, but we have the camera. So, especially Jehovah's Witnesses, every time they come and ask them, which church do you go? And that's what Adam told me to ask them. So then, I, whenever, every time I ask them where the church they go and they say random names or Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints or whatever, they say, oh, so you don't go to the right church? And they get so offensive and they actually, most of the time they leave. And sometimes when they stay, then I, I'm interested to talk to them, but they're not interested to talk to you because they know. And I tell them, oh, I go to a very biblical church where they actually teach about Bible and you should come to come with us if you want to learn more. And a lot of times they are not interested, so that's one way. And if they're interested, then you ask the right questions. What do you believe and why do you believe? A lot of times they have whatever they know, memorized things they share, but that's not enough. It's not in, in, they don't have enough information. Uh, so it's not very actually difficult to talk to them. That's mm -hmm. They'll focus on the workspace faith as opposed to uh, you. You produce works based on your faith. They produce works in order to justify their faith, you could say. Um, their beliefs are as based on the amount of works that you do determines if you go to heaven or whatever random island they're going to have and whatever paradise they're going to have. Um, so it's just leading them to my faith isn't based, like I produce works based on my faith. I don't produce works in order to get an award. So just focusing on that. Yeah, I mean Mormonism basically says grace kicks in when your works fall short. So you work as hard as you can and then there's grace. The biblical gospel says it's all grace. Um, so here's what I would suggest when you encounter Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses, what they're going to want to do is they're going to want to say, we're Christians too, right? That's the line that they're going to all put out there. And so it's not that you necessarily have to poke holes in their beliefs because they've been trained. Let's face it. I mean, the Jehovah's Witnesses that come to your door, the Mormons that come to your door. Yeah, uh, I used to be a former, well, not a former, but a student of Jehovah's Witnesses, and they, they are trained. Yeah. Um, based on the questions that the person gives. Yeah. Um, they, they'll tell you how to respond. Right. Um, right, so here's, here's what you can do to overcome that. Know what you believe so well that you can show the difference, right? So let's take Jehovah's Witnesses who deny the Trinity, deny that, that Jesus is God, okay? If you can show them from the Bible that he is God, from, if you can go to John 1, if you can go to his I am statements, before Abraham was, I am. In John 1, they want to say, well, that's not what my Bible says, because they've got a corrupted translation, right? We can open up the original Greek text and show them where they're wrong, but unless you know Greek, I, I just wouldn't enter into that debate with them, right? Because they, they've been trained to argue and, and twist and pervert and, and change. But if you go to Jesus' statement, before Abraham was, I am, okay? It's an allusion back to Exodus 3.14, when God says, I am who I am. So Jesus is making a statement of being eternal and being God right there in that statement. So if you can just get them to the, to the point of you saying, look, you, we're different. And the, the cold hard reality is, you know, I love you enough to tell you that the, the Bible teaches that you're not right with God where you stand as a Jehovah's Witness, where you stand as a Mormon. And honestly, where you're headed right now is you're headed to hell. And we recoil at that. We're like, I can't believe you would ever tell anybody that they're going to hell. But at the same time, how cruel do you have to be not to warn them of that? And a lot of times, to Juno's point, you're going to get one of two reactions there. 
they're going to try to kind of hang around and be polite, but not for very long, or they're going to get offended and they're going to get up and they're going to leave unless God is going to work on their hearts and scare them in that moment into going, man, maybe I need to figure this out a little bit more, right? So uh, Reasoning from the Scriptures with Mormons by Ron Rhodes is available in our bookstore here at Comes to Bible Church. Um, you can also get it on Amazon. It's always a dollar cheaper at our bookstore. That's why I give you our, our bookstore first. I don't make anything off of our bookstore, nor do we as a church. I think we lose money in the bookstore, um, which is why everything's a dollar cheaper than Amazon. But uh, Reasoning from the Scriptures with Ron Rhodes, uh, he's got one for Mormons. He's got one for Jehovah's Witness. He's got one for Catholics. Super helpful resources. So if you guys grab those and put them in your in your uh, library, um, that will help you be ready to engage and, and have some of these conversations. Do you want to be polite? Yes. But also remember that you're dealing with somebody who's a false teacher and spreading a false gospel. So as we look at scripture, there's a different level there of our burden as believers to condemn that than there is to just somebody who's a coworker of ours who's an atheist, who just says, well, I don't believe. Or somebody who says, well, I'm a Mormon, I'm in the Mormon church, but they're not necessarily out there peddling the Mormon beliefs. This is somebody who's intentionally deceiving. There's demonic influence going on behind the teaching of both Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnesses. And so for you as a believer to call that out for what it is, is not being cruel, that's what the Bible calls us to do. When Paul says, if anyone preaches a gospel other than the gospel that I delivered to you, let him be accursed. He's saying, let him be damned. Let him go to hell if he's preaching a, a false gospel. Why? Because he's leading people astray into an eternity apart from Christ. That has massive implications for us, right? Yeah. Next question. Yeah. That's actually kind of, I have a, like, a follow-up She's got the mic right behind you. There you go. So, um talking about Jehovah's Witness and like... It's easy for you to say, yeah. Yeah, so um, basically like when I'm having like free time, like there's always people coming up to me and inviting me to like their their, like lunch or whatever. It's usually like a pizza or something like that. Like I don't, like, I I try to say, oh, I'm a Christian and then they say I'm a Christian, but then like like you talked about, like they're more Mm workspace. It's like like, should, should I go, or should no. I just, yeah. No. I, I haven't been going, but I just didn't know if that was the right, right no. thing to do. No, you, you, absolutely not. Okay. I would say 100% no. Okay. Um, if you feel like the Lord is calling you into being a missionary to the Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses, there's legitimacy there. I would say get that training and get such a rock-solid foundation before you step foot into the lion's den. Okay. Not because you're going to be converted. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're not going to be swayed, but it's just not a healthy place to put yourself in. It's not wise to put yourself in that position. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Other questions? You guys just much really want to go to that pasta place that Nathan was talking about at the Union City place, Union Market, Grill, Coffee, Nine. Yeah, 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 down here. SpaceX. <laughs> he works there. That's why I said that. That is, that is true. Uh, this is more a question for Pastor BJ. Um, what do you believe Christ is referencing in John ten sixteen when he mentions the other fold? And what scripture do you have to back up what you believe? John ten sixteen. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and this is 15, and I lay, lay my life down for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. 
summary, other fold Gentiles. Um, you've got Christ's interactions. You've got glimpses of him alluding to this. Uh, you've got his interaction with the, uh, the woman at the, at, who comes to the feet of, the, of him and, and begs for him to heal her daughter. And he says, I'm here for the Jews, not for the Gentiles. And she says, yes, Lord, but don't even the dogs benefit from the scraps from their master's table. No, Pastor Lucas, I can't answer the phone right now. Um, and, and Jesus turns to her and says a, a pretty amazing statement back to her. He says, I have not found such faith in all of Israel. He's talking to a Gentile there, right? So he's given this idea that there's, there's a, a role for another flock, for somebody that's outside of, of Israel for him, right? Um, even the opening to John's gospel, when John says that, that Jesus came to his own, but his own did not receive him. Well, who's he talking about there? He's talking about the Jews. The apostle Paul later turns away from the synagogues and shakes his, his dust off his feet from the Jews, so to speak, and turns to the Gentiles. You've got Cornelius in, in the book of Acts and the, the vision there with Cornelius where he calls for Peter and Peter comes and shares the gospel. And Cornelius, who's a God-fearer but not a Jew, who is a Gentile, and he becomes saved along with all of his whole household. Um, the, so the, this idea of the, the other flock here is, as Jesus is talking here, is the, the Gentiles that are not part of Israel that he has yet to, to gather in. Follow up? Yeah. Is, that, is that fair? That's fair. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, and even, so in, in men's Bible study, we're studying First Peter. So in First Peter chapter 2, verse 9, you've got this, uh, this statement that Peter makes when he's talking to the church and he's talking to these exiles that are believers. And he says, you are a royal priesthood. You are a, a holy, holy nation. You are a kingdom of, of priests, a people for God's own possession. He goes back to, um, uh, to a, a, a statement made in, in Exodus where God says that about Israel. And now Peter's saying that about the church. Is he saying that the church has replaced Israel? No, he's not. But he's saying the church is part of the people of God and God wants to do with the church the same thing that he wanted to do with Israel that Israel didn't do well. Israel was supposed to be a missional people from the, from the moment that they were formed. God called Israel to be a light amongst the nations. That's what his whole point was in, in saying, you are a people for my own possession. We look at those crazy laws, right? Like, do not boil a goat in its mother's milk. And we read that and we say, what in the world, right? But the reason why God was doing that and the reason why God gave Israel such stringent laws, because he wanted them to be holy. And we think, well, yeah, he wanted them to be righteous and blameless and spotless and just for him. But he wanted them to be distinct is what we're talking about with holiness there. He wanted other nations to look at Israel and say, what are you doing and why are you doing that? And to understand that God was blessing them for that and then for other nations to look at Israel and say, I want to be a part of that, right? Like you think of Rahab, who was hiding out in the wall, living in the wall, when the spies were sent to, to spy out Jericho. And she hides them. She's a Gentile. She's not part of Israel. And yet she's not only grafted in to become part of Israel because that was God's whole plan, but then she becomes part of the lineage of who? Sunday school answer, guys. One, two, three. Jesus. Rahab, who is a Gentile, is in the lineage, in the ancestry of Jesus. Okay? And so he comes here in John, and he's, he's alluding to these things. When he says, look, my sheep know my voice, but I've got sheep that are part of another fold that you don't know about, and I need to gather them as well. He's, 
casting the vision to and pointing towards what he's going to be doing by gathering in the Gentiles as well to be part of the, the people of God. Good question. Other questions? Yeah, yeah. Jaden, is this where you're going to come out of your shell, dude? Okay, so my question is, some guy, well, some guy was telling me that basically not everything's, I know he's wrong, but he said not everything's in the Bible because there's the infancy gospels that weren't included in that, and that's why he said you can't rely on the Bible, and I, I just didn't know what to say to that, because yeah. I don't yeah. know, I never, you know. Anybody want to take that? Okay. Look, I'm on, that was an honest question. Um, manuscript evidence. The earliest that we have, Gospel of Thomas, Gospel of Judas, the, the Gnostic Gospels. The reason they're called the Gnostic Gospels is they come out of the, the 300 ADs, right? The, the, the 4th century AD, the 3rd century AD. So we're dealing with the earliest manuscript evidence that we have of that dates to somewhere in the 300s, okay? You're looking at the separation between that and the, the actual biblical text that we have, the, the, the books of the Bible, the books of the New Testament in particular, which he might respond and say, yeah, but the, the Council of Nicaea in AD 325 was, was when the, the, the canon was formulated. And so that was, that was in that time frame too. So why not throw these books in here? Well, because the council that, that formulated the Bible as we have it today was not a bunch of guys getting around together going, well, I like that book and I like that book and I, oh, I don't like that book, so let's throw that book out and I like this book and I like that book. It was them getting together, looking at 300 years of church history. And really, when you consider John finished up Revelation almost in 100 AD, they're really only looking at about 200 years of church history at this point from the autographs, from the original manuscripts, which is not a lot of time. And they're saying, what are the, what are the books that have been circulated among the churches and held to be authoritative? to be books that, that are written by the apostles that we can trace back to the apostles, to the, follow, the original followers of Jesus Christ and say, we know for a fact these guys wrote these books. They then took that list of those books and that's what became our New Testament canon. And they said there's 27 of them. These 27 books are books that are authoritative and we can trust and we can trace back to when they were originally written and began to circulate amongst the churches. So these are authoritative. If you're writing a book that's 200 years later than that, that there's no prior evidence to that, that there, it's not been circulated in the church prior to that, and somebody's putting this forward and going, oh, look, I found this. It's by, it's by Thomas. It's by the guy who doubted Jesus. It's the Gospel of Thomas. You're going to look at that and go, no. Thanks, but no thanks. So we've got early manuscript evidence of the gospel, some dating almost back to less than 100 AD, right? So we've got very old manuscript evidence that's close to, it's not, we don't have the autographs, but you don't have the autographs of any ancient works. But we have, we get super close with the New Testament books, okay? So then you've got this one that's all of a sudden in 300 is the first appearance of it. And it's got Gnostic elements to it. Well, the other problem is Gnosticism, which is this idea that the physical body is bad and that the spiritual is good. That mindset wasn't there during the, the formulation of, of the church and during the early church, okay? During the gospels. Gnosticism came on the scene in the late 200s and early 300s. And so when you see Gnostic elements in these gospels, there's no way it was original. Because that, that methodology of thinking, that, that philosophy wasn't present. Jesus wasn't combating Gnosticism. Paul wasn't combating Gnosticism. It wasn't a thing. And so all of a sudden it's there and the, the, the vestiges of, there, of it are there in these books. And then when you read the books themselves, 
Like in the Gospel of Thomas, there's a, a story about how when Jesus was a boy, he bumped into another boy who ran into an on accident, and Jesus got mad and struck the boy dead. Right? So you're like, hmm, that sounds like the Jesus we all know and love, doesn't it? So when you read them and you compare the content to it, you go, okay, clearly, this doesn't agree with the rest of it. So can we know that the Bible is complete and truth, and this is it, and we shouldn't embrace the infancy gospels or the, these other things? Yes, we can. Uh, people want to pause it and put it forth and be like, well, see, there's holes in the theory. There's not. When you get into the manuscript evidence, when you get into the, the nuts and bolts of it, which they don't know, they're just parroting what they heard from their favorite late night talk show host or from their mom and dad who are atheists who heard it from their favorite late night talk show host. They're just throwing garbage out there. Um, when you dig underneath, it, 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 you can expose the lie. Yes, sir. Yeah, wow. Um, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist by Frank Turek is a, a good place to start. Again, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. Um, Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell is a big, beefy, thick tome. Um, but that's going to give you, I mean, that's going to talk about these things. Um, have you guys... Book, though. That's not one you sit down and just read. Right. You're not going to keep that like by your bedside table. N.T. Lightfoot, How We Got Our Bible, is, was really helpful for me. Okay. It's like a sh- small book. Yeah. Did, did you get that? Can you say it again? Yeah. N.T. Lightfoot, I believe, is the author, How We Got Our Bible. Um, nope. Who we get here when your fingers don't hit the right buttons? Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Yeah, but just know this, as you guys are, are out there thinking about this. Truth is, is on your side, okay? Because uh, Chuck Missler, is that the name? No, it's N.T. Lightfoot. should be that. Oh, but I hope I got the title right. Come on, Google. <laughs> Um, anyways, it, truth is on your side. Like, there's a reason, guys, why the, that Christianity is still here. For 2,000 years later, there's plenty of people that hate Christianity, and yet they go to the well time and time and time and time and time and time again with their arguments, and they can't defeat truth. This is what God promised through Jesus' words when he said the gates of hell are not going to prevail against the church. Which is, by the way, an offensive statement, not a defensive. Gates are meant to keep out, right? So the gates of hell are not going to prevail against the church. The church is the offensive party in that, not hell. Um, I also think More Than a Carpenter is a good chapter on that as well. Which is also by Josh McDowell, and that's the more readable. Yeah, Neil R. Lightfoot. Neil R. Lightfoot. Okay. Yeah, sorry, the only reason I looked that up, so there's a guy named N.T. Wright. Don't read N.T. Wright. <laughs> N.T. Lightfoot I don't think exists, but Neil R. Lightfoot does there we go. and wrote a book called How We Got Our Bible. There we go. You can get it for $8 on Amazon or $7 from our church. Yeah, so I would start there. And if that doesn't scratch the itch, then come back and we can uh, provide more resources. Yeah, other questions? Taylor. Um, when sharing the gospel with people, how do you go about doing it without sounding like too judgmental? 
because I've, I've done it in the past and the person got really defensive and I don't want to draw them farther away from Christ. Mm-hmm. Good question. Yes? Kenya. <laughs> Kenya has a good answer for this one. <laughs> she does it in Spanish and so they don't know they're being offended. <laughs> they also don't become a Christian. I'm joking unless they speak Spanish. Feel joke. Um, well, we have to remember when you're sharing the gospel, it's going, to, it's going to be offensive because it's an offensive thing to say to somebody that they're a sinner and that they need to repent from that sin and that, you know, there's only one way to get to heaven. To the world, that sounds like foolishness and that obviously is going to rub them very much the wrong way because they are in sin, they are not right with God, and they're in rebellion toward God. So if you tell them anything other than, hey, what you're doing is great, they're not going to like that. Um, so you have to know that inherently the gospel is offensive to the world. So knowing that going in, you already know, like, okay, she's, they're not going to be super excited about what I have to say. However, when you share the gospel, it's the most loving thing that you can do. And so knowing that you have a message of salvation, you have a message of hope, of true hope, you should go into it um, excited, with excitement, with so much conviction, with joy, and you, the way in which you say it shouldn't be condemning or damning, like, well, you're going to hell. The way that you're living, you're going to hell. I mean, you want to be loving in the way that you present it. But love and passion can sometimes go together. I mean, you're so excited to share this message with them. You're eager to, to, to point them to God's word, to give them the hope that they're never going to find on earth. So you want to, to come across excited and, and loving, but never in a way that's going to, um, you know, be judgmental um, in your own tone. Like, oh, well, what you're doing, you know, that's going to complete, like, you're, go you're going to hell. There's a right way, right? There's a right way and a wrong way to say something to someone. I mean, you want to point them to what God's word says. And, and when they say, you're being judgmental. How could you say, you're offending, you're offending me. You're being so offensive. You don't want to say, hey, you want to say, hey, listen, it's not, I'm not judging you. I'm not being judgmental. I'm all I'm saying to you is what is in God's word. And I would always go in before you share the gospel, have a couple of verses ready and, and ready at the waiting. So that way you can point them right back to God's word. Um, when people say like, well, how do you know God's the only way? Like that's so judgmental of you to say that. John 14, six, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father, but through me. Things like that, right? Like that you can just go to, you can just have them maybe even in a little note card or on your phone. So that when they start to come at you and say, you're judging me, you can say, no, no, no. I'm, I'm not judging you. I'm solely the messenger. I'm just telling you what God's word says. Does that help, Taylor? Yeah. Does anybody want to add to that? Yeah, I'll add to that. Um, I totally agree. And I think it's good to take a few steps back and just try to think of how to create an environment. <clears throat> this is more of just like a tactic that has helped me. People don't really, you've heard this said before, people don't care what you know until they know that you care. There's cold turkey evangelism where you just kind of walk up to a stranger and go, where are you going when you die? All right, I'm not saying that evangelism doesn't work, um, but for me, I find that like getting into a conversation with somebody, kind of like a little bit of a palate cleanser, kind of getting to know them, showing that you care for them. I think a lot of people label Christians as just like these very judgmental people. And like what Kenya said, there's, there's no way to tell somebody that they're going to hell without offending them at the end of the day. So if you're trying to avoid telling them that truth and trying to share the gospel at the same time, you're not sharing a true gospel. So I would, I'm not going that direction. 
but I am saying like getting them to a place where they just know that you care for them, building a relationship with them. I think sometimes, and I'm guilty of this too, I, I get kind of stuck in my Christian bubble and I don't really think of outreaching to the person effectively. I just think, oh, I just need to kind of blurt out the gospel and if they choose to respond to it, great. If not, then my job is done. I think we can be a lot more tactful than that. I think just if you've got a family member or you have a friend um, that you don't see a lot who's not a Christian or you met somebody who clearly gets along with you really well, um, you have something in common, whether it's sports or school or whatever, I think just getting to know them, listening to them, um, hearing what they have to say, because if you're just the person that's just trying to force something at them and then refusing to listen to what they say, I find it a lot more effective when you listen to them first and then share what you believe, because at least they think, oh, well, they actually care about what I have to say, and you should care about what they have to say. Like, we need to know how to, like, argue or debate our faith in an effective way, and you can't do that unless you know what they believe first. And so... Yeah, I think developing a relationship with the person can help. But there are circumstances where you're just not going to be able to have the opportunity to do that. Like you meet someone just randomly, you're sitting on the plane. You know, I'm not saying you just shouldn't share your faith just because you don't have enough time to become best friends with them. That's that's not what I'm saying. But but yeah, I think what Kenya said and just like getting them to a place, whatever that means, whatever type of person you are, they are getting to a place where they are like, oh, this person, this person cares about me. Yeah. Truth to what Luke was just saying and Kenya was saying as well. I, I want to balance that a little bit, though. You don't find lifestyle evangelism in the scriptures. You also don't find relational evangelism in the scriptures. You find a lot of truth followed by people convicted under the truth saying, what must I do to be saved? Right? So sometimes, and I've sat where you guys are, and I've heard the, and I know Luke builds relationships and gets to the gospel with the people that he builds relationships with. So I, I know he's doing what he's talking about here. But I also know the temptation sitting where you're at to hear something like that and be like, oh, great. That takes the pressure off because I've got time. Well, you, you may not have time with that person. You've got to move the ball down the field towards the gospel and get to the gospel. Um, and there are questions that you can use to ask, like when we go out to UCI guys and, and do evangelism at UCI, I'll, I'll ask students when they come up and, and grab a water bottle from us and they're like, what is this? And, and we start talking to them. One of my first questions is, do you go to church anywhere? And they'll say maybe, no. Well, have you ever gone to church? Yeah, I used to go to church. I don't go anymore. Well, why, why don't you go? What kind of church was it? Well, it was a Catholic church. Okay. Well, do you remember anything that they used to teach you there? So you can get into start, even cold turkey, I'm not coming at them with the four spiritual laws, but I'm going to get to the gospel through my conversation with them. You see what I mean? And you may be sitting out there going, yeah, but how do I get good at that? Do it. Like, guys, I, we, we have been doing campus evangelism now for a year and a half, and I can count maybe six students in this room that show up at that. And you, you, you value what you value, Right? But if you're sitting there going, man, I want to get better at evangelism, and you're not evangelizing, you're not going to get better at evangelism. Um, so show up. The, the other thing I would say is this. Um, there may be a, a point in time where you're pursuing somebody, and you've shared the gospel with that person. And maybe it's even somebody that, that you know who professes to be a believer, but then is living a life that's just not in line with Christianity. There's a point in time where you have to warn them. 
I mean, that's, that's what the writer of Hebrews does in the warning passages, where you have to warn them, and it is more loving for you, even in a direct, not like lovey-dovey voice, to tell them, look, you are playing with eternity, and I'm worried that your soul is in danger. I'm worried that if you die, that you are going to hell. Uh, and, and that may be the wake-up call that they need in that context. So there are, there are going to be different times. Um, I don't think, you know, again, Jesus wasn't as concerned with what people think about us after we share the gospel with them. He was concerned about us just being faithful to do it. In fact, he even told the disciples, look, if you go into a town and you share the good news with them and they reject you, he said, leave and shake the dust off your shoes and walk away. In other words, I don't even want your dust on my feet because you've rejected the gospel. I'm done with you, is what they're saying. It sounds harsh, especially in our context, in our culture, in our society. So, yeah, I probably offend people way more than I need to, but... I'd like to think that it's more God and Jesus doing the offending and me just opening up my mouth. Pastor, I just want to just add one thing. Yeah. Uh, so whenever I... Is that... Can you raise that volume there, Sorry. Luke? Yeah. So whenever I have a lunch meeting with somebody and I, I know that I'm going to share gospel to them, I always tell my friends or accountability partner, Adam, that can you please pray for me for the conversation? It's good. I've always seen so much more that I thought I'm nervous or something and I don't know all the right answers, but God always provides everything that I need and everything. And a lot of time people have uh, genuine follow-up questions after that. So mm. I always encourage people to tell somebody if in that situation, sometimes you don't have situation, but when you have, you know, you're going to meet somebody, please ask somebody to pray for mm. you at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Prayer is huge for that, for sure. What else? Oh. I wanted to add something too, um, because... I think that there, like Pastor PJ was saying, there is a time and a place to be pretty blunt with somebody. And I had that opportunity just very recently. I have a friend that I've been evangelizing to for about a little bit over a year. And she has all the questions and all the right intentions. And like I build, I have built a friendship with her. I've, it's almost like I kind of had her in my mind as I'm listening to Luke and then I'm listening to Pastor PJ. And it's funny because when I first started out with her, like I didn't ram the gospel down her throat and say like, believe this now. It's like, you know, I built a friendship with her and I developed, because I had that opportunity. I knew that I was gonna talk to her again. And so I built a friendship with her. I listened to her, but I did share the gospel right away. And I let her know like, hey, this is what the Bible says. She came back with questions. She wanted to know more. She's like, I don't, I don't believe that, but I wanna know more. So I've been sharing more and more information with her, answering her questions, taking so much time out of my life to go through the Bible and connect her with pastors in different state. Like she lives in a different state and I've been like literally reaching out to other pastors for her. And the other day she talks to me and she's like, I just, I know you've given me all this information and I know that the, I talked to the pastor that you told me to, but, but I still, and you know what, you guys, I literally said to her, you know what, you're playing with fire at this point because we have had, we have been through it. And then I got real and I'm like, you know what, you are the person who's in the ocean floundering and saying, I, I don't know, I don't know, like I'm drowning, I'm drowning. And here we go, I'm like, I'm giving you a life jacket. I've given you a lifeboat. I've literally rolled up like in a sea-do and been like, jump on. And you're saying, but I, I can't. And I literally told her just like that. And she's like, you're being so judgmental. Just because I don't believe doesn't mean I'm going to hell. And you know what I said to her? It does, yeah, you, you are. And so 
I know when I first said to you guys, like, well, don't just go there. Maybe not like on the first conversation where you're like, bam. But I got there with her, and I did say, like, yeah, yeah, it is. And guess what? She's not really wanting to respond to text messages right now. And that's okay, because was I offensive? No, dude, like, I've been really coming alongside her for a long time. I have, like, we, Cody has been on the phone with her. Like, we've been going along that. So it's like, no, at this point, it's the most loving thing I can do to say, hey, listen, like, wake up, wake up right now. So there's a time and a place, you guys. And get real, because it's the gospel. It's life or death. It's really life or death. It's so important. If you guys are not sharing the gospel, hello. Like, come on, you guys. <laughs> hello. Okay. Hello. You don't want Kenya to come after you. She will come after you. Yeah. I'm going to add one more thing. I know we've been talking about it forever. <laughs> Am I going to have to clarify this now? Because it's like, no. Kenya Luke, me. Kenya Luke. I, I think it's important because this is a temptation that I have a lot of the time. Sometimes when my conversation goes in a direction that I don't want it to go, where they start getting angry or retaliating, my automatic response, my sinful response is to also retaliate instead of thinking I need to love and care for this person. And I know we've kind of touched on it a little bit, but I think sometimes it's easy to look at that person as your enemy instead of the person that you're trying to reach. And if you didn't listen to Pastor Mike's sermon from this last weekend, I would definitely recommend going back and listening to it. There's a lot of really helpful information that kind of fits um, within this topic. But I think it's important to remember that you're going into it to try to win them over for Christ. You're not going there to win an argument. You're not going there to just get up on your high horse and go, you're going to hell and get all angry and emotionally respond um, to their emotional response. I think it's better to just make sure you're above reproach in the way that you evangelize. That was yeah. worth it mentioning. Win the soul, not the argument. Can you imagine living during the time when like the high horse was a status symbol? It's like, oh dude, look how high my horse is. And then some other dude drives up and he's got a bigger one. And you're like, oh. Dude, get off your high horse. You're so arrogant riding that high horse. Now we're like, why are you on a horse? Probably has an autopilot. We're in a church. Why are you on this horse in a church? I don't know, we talked about truckers earlier. So we're, what are you doing? We should duel. We're on these horses. Joust. If you have any questions about horses, yeah. truckers, like the free. What other questions do you have? Yeah, yeah. So I guess kind of in two different situations. Um, with public education, like I work with public education children um, who are insisting being called different pronouns mm -hmm. for gender identities than they were at birth assigned. Mm -hmm. And obviously people who are coworkers, you can share the gospel with them, but when you're kind of bound by laws and you can't share beliefs and kind right. of that quote unquote gray area, at what point do you not call them versus yeah. what they want to be called, that whole thing? Yeah, especially since Chick-fil-A doesn't love Jesus anymore, right? I'm not a Chick-fil-A anymore. I'm not a manager. What? Anymore. Yeah. I know when did this happen? Um. Four months ago. Hence the public school education question yes. that led this in. If I was paying yeah. attention, I would have picked up on that. It would have been different if yeah. I was at um, not. Yeah, you're going to get different stances on this. Yeah. Look, I think this is part of the persecution that's, that's ramping up against Christians. Mm -hmm. And like Pastor Mike, even this morning, preached on, he's like, it's coming. It's coming, and it will cost us our jobs, and it will cost us our witness, or not our witness, it will cost us our testimony, it's going to cost us money, it's going to cost us freedom, it's going to cost us, you know, all of those things. And I think the time is coming where for Christians, we're going to have to start making decisions what fields we really can and cannot go into. And because the public school system is such a politically driven 
uh, place. And I say that grieving that because I'm a dad with kids in the public school system. So I'm not anti that. I'm not like somebody that's sending my kids to private school going, oh, public schools are evil. My kids are in the public school system. I want there to be Christians in the public school system. But the reality is that I understand that the, the long-term viability of that is getting less and less and less. The Bible does not provide a, you should call this person by their biological sex at birth pronoun. Um, but it does tell us about the fact that God is the creator and that God has created us in his image. And that when somebody goes undergoes a a gender reassignment and says, well, I don't want to be a boy anymore. I want to be a girl and you should refer to me as she and not he. Essentially what they're doing is they're saying, God, you messed up. You screwed up. You made a mistake. I'm not who you created me to be. And what they're asking me to do by call them by their pronouns is to participate in that delusion. And I'm not comfortable doing that. So yeah, I mean, uh, the, I think the hard thing is, is it's going to start costing us um, as believers. And, you know, we, we, we don't do that in any other, with any other sin. We call sin, sin, right? Like a rapist who shows up that's like, well, I'd rather you just call me somebody who's sexually challenged or sexually deviant. We're not going to do that. That's absurd, right? But we're tucking in this sin and, and the culture is causing the church to go, oh yeah, we'll go along because we, why? We don't want to hurt people's feelings. We don't want to step on toes. Well, well, then what if they never hear the gospel anymore? God doesn't want you to sin to get the gospel to somebody. God doesn't want you to celebrate a perversion, which is what it is, to get the gospel to somebody. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, it's not the answer that you probably want to hear with a new career change and everything else like that, but honestly, I, I don't think as a believer that you can join in and participate in that. What does that look like? How does that play itself out? I think that's going to be a case-by-case situation uh, and maybe having a conversation. And I think in some cir- circumstances, it'll work out for the believer. And I think in other circumstances, it's going to end up in people losing their jobs or having to change careers. Um, it's scary. But it's not. Because ultimately, God's won, right? And again, to, to back up what Luke said, if, if you guys weren't there this morning, listen to Pastor Mike's sermon. I think it was super encouraging and helpful along those lines based on what we're here to do. Because, I mean... Part of it, too, is think about our witness to that person. So that person, let's say God does save them, and they have their eyes opened, and they are saved, and they come back to you, and they're like, why did you, why did you go along with that? You know that's not what God wants. Why, why did you participate in that and call me a she when I'm really a he? Like, why, why didn't you tell me I can't do that? That's not, that's not what the Bible tells me to do, right? That would be my fear in there. Yes? Okay. Follow up to that. Push back on that. No, I guess. I wish I hadn't asked the question. No. (laughs) No, I'm good with it. Um, Because obviously, when you're in college, you have peers, it's easier to be like, hey, like, I don't believe that. I don't agree with that. This is why you can lead into the gospel with that and use that as a tool. Right. but I guess too along with that, just I guess, would you just recommend continuously calling them what they originally were versus what they want to be? Like, you know what I mean? Even when they want to change their name or when you find out later along the lines that they're actually a boy when they're a girl. And you, you Yeah, if it's something where you didn't know initially and then right. you, you kind of figure it out, I mean, that's... 
it's a different situation as well, but I think we're still under the obligation to say, okay, look, the reality is that we're complicit in their delusion and their, their rebellion against God to join in that, right? And even Paul says in Romans chapter one that they not only did it, but gave approval to those who did these things as well, right? And really that's where we're at, is we're in the Romans one, giving approval to those that are re- rejecting and rebelling against God. So I think, honestly, guys, I think this is the, the, this is the tips of the flames beginning to lap at the feet of the church. Um, as persecution is the heat gets turned up it's it's and it's also further extension i think of god's discipline against our country because the reality is christians are going to be driven out of the public schools as far as teachers and administrators and things like that they're going to be driven out of of spheres and, and professions the medical fields as well because of what's going on with with this whole gender nonsense that's out there and i think as that happens those, those fields and professions where the, the Christians are now having to pull out of and retreat from are going to go downhill. They are, right? It's, it's why there's so much chaos when it comes to the family now because the, the, the family has been ripped away from the church and now redefined by whatever people want to redefine it as and the society's breaking down at large. I think the public school system is going to continue to go down the toilet. I think our medical profession is going to continue to get more and more and more ridiculous and absurd. And this is an extension of God's judgment against a people who have been killing babies by the hundreds of millions and celebrating it and celebrating two men having sex together and two women having sex together and saying that that's a good thing and we should let them be married and love who you want to love and your truth is your truth. Guys, God is eventually going to get up off the the couch, so to speak, and say, I'm done with this. And so it may be that, you know, for you, Tiara, you're sitting there going, well, I thought public school was was a, a, a career path for me. It may not be, and maybe it is, you gotta look at a charter school or a private school and go do similar things there, and maybe that means I can't afford to live in California on that, ca- that salary, and maybe that means you're not long for this state, right? I mean, the implications are there, and, and unfortunately, as believers, we look at that and we're like, man, that is so hard, and it doesn't seem fair. Yeah, but remember, God wins, and this is not our home, right? That we're living for something that's far better than this. Um, yeah. Fair? Not fair, but clear? Okay. I think a lot of people are looking for, can you just tell me what I'm supposed to do? Can I just, and I know this is like a gray area, like everyone's going to have like a slightly different view on maybe how, do like, do I refer to them as the name that they change their name to? Do I refer to them as the pronoun that they want to be referred to? Just call them all a Pat. Yeah. Just say Pat. Is it, yeah. Like it's safe both ways. That's not my name. It's, it's an old it's okay. movie slash skit. Anyways, but I, if you're looking for like just like a clear answer on what to do, you're not going to hear us say, no, don't do this or yes, do this. But I, I mean, maybe with some things, but I would just say, God, you want to err more on the side of pleasing God than on the side of trying to please man and yep. trying to like stay in the workforce. Yes. That's yes. the best thing to just remember and just pray through it. Like, ask God to, like, give you wisdom as you, you know, go through the career path that you want to go through. Yeah. Yeah. This is not surprising to God either. And that should be comforting to you as well. It's not like God's like, oh, my goodness, Jesus, Holy Spirit, get over here. Did you see what's going on down there? He knows exactly what's going on. This is all part of history moving from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil to the cross, the tree of the cross to the tree of life at the end. And we're on that path, and he knows exactly where we are. 
And this is not out of his control. So he's got you in that. Um, yeah. Other questions? Alex. Everybody's like, I'm not going to follow that question. Is this about a horse? I know a lot about Clyde sales. If it was, I'd be more interested in that. Anyway, uh, <laughs> dude, we'll talk later. <laughs> uh, so one of the questions I've been asking is that uh, I work at a place that's very, 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 very secular. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of people there that curse, say a lot of weird things and all that. And there have been times in, my, in the accounts of when I worked there that I've been trying to warn them about, you know, trying to evangelize to them. And they just keep on getting pushed. Like, they just want to say, we don't want anything to do with you. I'm cool. I'm good. But in my opinion, it's like, no, you're not good. You're cursing. You're saying all these weird things. You're saying things that are not even godly, though. So my question to you is, how many times should I warn them, though? Because every single time I warn them, they just keep on pushing back, though. I'd say keep doing it until they tell you to stop I, I've had to do that with my sister like we've shared the gospel with her and she just outright told us well, she doesn't want to hear it anymore and at that point if she comes to us for a question I will gladly share with her and I don't give up on her but I guess it's kind of a similar thing just keep keep if there's an opportunity to share the gospel or say something to them then I would yeah yeah, and, and the other thing too, when you're at work, you can't expect unbelievers to act like believers. In fact, we need to understand they're not going to act like believers. And so to be, there's, there's a certain extent as a believer where when you hear somebody using profanity at work, it's going to be jarring to you and it's going to make you go, I don't, I don't like that. And it should, quite honestly, it should. But you're also an employee there at will, meaning it's your decision to work there, right? You've chosen, I'm going to work here, I'm going to work in this company. You're working for a company that clearly does not have policies against that, that it's, they're okay with that environment. And so you can't really appeal to any authority to cause them to stop that other than for you to simply say to them, hey, you know what, guys, it really offends me to hear you guys talk like that. Would you mind not doing that when I'm around? Um, you can't really cause them to listen to that or not, you know? So you're really, unless you're working in an environment where that is a company policy where they're like, you should not use profanity and you should conduct yourself with, you know, integrity and dignity and everything else like that, then maybe you've got recourse there. But it sounds like you really don't. And there's unfortunately not really a whole lot you can do other than to say to them and to continue to say to them, hey guys, that really bothers me. Would you mind not talking that way around me? So, yeah. Do you know who the highest horse is? <laughs> I found this out. Were you looking that up during the last question? Be it's, honest. It's yes. <laughs> All right. It's Big Jake, the Belgian gelding. Ah, good old Big Jake. Yep. He measured a majestic twenty hands. I didn't know that's how you measured a horse. That's how you measure a horse, which is eighty-two point seven five inches tall. Okay. So. Five feet is 60, that's six feet is 72 inches. So this horse is almost seven foot tall. What's the spiritual application behind knowing this? I don't know, but like, <laughs> if Kellen stood up next to this horse, this horse would be as tall as Kellen. Wow. That's a tall, that's a high horse. Dude, if you How are on- How many hands tall is Kellen? Probably about 20. 20? 
I would imagine he's close. We should measure next time. We should just lay hands on Kellen. Yeah, that's what that means. That's what that means, right? But if you rode Big Jake, you could say, dude, I am on my high horse, and nobody is on a higher horse than me right now. That's awesome. Big Jake the Belgian gelding. So there you go, guys. Get off your high horse. No, I'm on him. His name is Jake. Is that the way we're ending this Q&A? No, no, I just... I'm hoping there are more questions. Yeah. So we don't end on that. What did you learn tonight, honey? More questions. I mean, I just thought I'd throw that out there. It got me thinking. You're the one who started talking about high horses. And so... uh, It's true. It's your fault. More questions. Come on. Maybe about the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Dude, they, they're probably higher Biblical than 20 horses. hands. Most likely. The rider on the white horse must be. This is the highest horse of all. Hmm? Just horsing around. Just, hey, that's enough horse play. I have a question. Who does? I do. Oh, oh Matt whoa. Bates. <laughs> whoa, I'm looking out here going, whoa. Somebody's Who was that? <laughs> yeah, Matt Bates. We've touched on the topic of evangelism a little bit throughout the night through some of the questions. Mm-hmm. And going on the application of, you know, we want to be doing that. We want to be um, on our campuses or in our workplaces trying to reach those people um, and the people that we're close to. What are some practical applications that you guys would say are easy ways to reach people of the opposite gender? What are you doing on Friday night? <laughs> or did it hurt when you fell from heaven? There are a lot yeah. of other pickup lines out there. Man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I feel like there's a. I lost my number. Can I have yours? There's in our generation. I feel like there is that big. It's kind of more of an awkward thing now because it's just known. Like when people invite other people to an event or to something, if it's of opposite genders, there's always that wall up. Dude, that's not your generation. That's human history. Well. Yeah, no, but your question is well taken. Um, If you're a single guy not romantically interested in a girl, I probably wouldn't make her an evangelistic target. I also probably wouldn't make her an evangelistic target if you are romantically interested in her. Because missionary dating is not a biblical concept. So don't date somebody to save them. Does that make sense? Don't date somebody to save them. Um, God's word is clear on being unequally yoked. He says, don't do it. And if you want to argue with me, well, that's talking about business context. Fine. But if God cares that in business you're not unequally yoked, how much more do you think he cares that in a romantic relationship with somebody you're not unequally yoked? So it's just a hard thing. Um, I think there are plenty of dudes out there that don't know Jesus for you to go after with the gospel. And ladies, I think there are plenty of dudettes out there who don't know Jesus for you to go after with the gospel. Sarah Stevens. You need the mic. This is just a helpful suggestion. I hold close to no authority on this, so don't. She has the mic, so she has some authority right now. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe one hand. Um, If this is campus outreach, if you are like, for instance, like talking to a female, and uh, there is another godly female in the group of evangel- my evangelists, that's the word. Um, you could really casually be like, that's a great question. 
here, let me ask so-and-so to come talk, and you could like even step out of that conversation after like hooking it up, so to speak. So I That's know that- a bad reference. I'm sorry. I'm I didn't bit. mean to do it like that, okay. Um, I could have yeah. let it slide, but I didn't, so I'm that's, just as guilty. That's like one very specific example, though, and I have no idea what context you're coming from, but that's just something yeah. to kind of get the creativity flowing on like how to deal with such situations. Yeah. Just an idea. But that said, there's nothing wrong, and in fact, it's good for guys and girls to invite each other to events as far as inviting people to church or to anything we have going on. And if someone of the opposite gender walks into the room, it's great to talk to them, to talk to them yeah. regardless of who they are. So it doesn't, yes, I understand what you're saying when it comes to an evangelistic investing in a relationship, you know, trying to go after them with the gospel in a very intentional way. I still think there could be some conversations that take place, but I don't think that can be used as an excuse. Like if a girl shows up at the bridge for the first time, it's not like the guys need to sit back and go, let's see who goes and talks to her. It's totally okay for a guy to go and talk to the girl. And you know, as the lady leaders here are doing their best to make sure the girls understand that just because a guy talks to them doesn't mean that they wanna get married. So I think you're safe to go up and just say, hi. How'd you get here? How'd you hear about us? Welcome. I lost my number, can I have yours? Yeah, I mean, there's like that line that you can cross that then it becomes a flirtation, but maybe it is, which is fine. But if you're not wanting to cross that line, I still think there's a lot of conversation that can take place between a grown man and a grown woman, which is what all of you are, that doesn't have to be a romantic endeavor. Sure. Can you give us an example? Of well, a conversation like that? Just like, yeah, I'm like hypothetical. Well, just, well, like if you, if there was a guy who walked in the door that you had never met before, and you suspected that maybe he was new here, and you said, hey, I'm Sarah. Have you been here before? I don't think I've met you before. Oh, your name is Joe. That's nice to meet you. Um, how'd you hear about us? Are you, did you hear that we're all hanging out afterwards? Do you want to join us? Have you met anyone else here? Did you come with a friend? These are all questions that can be had that are completely safe platonic that's the word yeah yeah there's nothing there's nothing wrong with that i think sometimes when i sit back and watch the room it's very obvious that when someone walks in that's new especially i mean because you all have already drawn your line between the boys and the girls that have been here for forever but like when somebody new walks in it's it's almost like the girls sit back and they're like oh what guy's gonna go talk to that new guy there's a new guy here who's gonna go talk to him when you can just go talk to him and it would be okay noted now it goes further if you're like, hey, that was a great sermon. You want to go to Starbucks and talk about the application questions? Then it's like, okay, let's go buy some rings and start talking about having kids. <laughs> Which is okay, but <laughs> if when that's not what you're not going okay. for, if you're going for just investing in people, like it's just relationships, it's just people. And I get that I'm saying that as a married woman so I can have a conversation with a man understanding that there's no relationship that's being formed beyond a friendship, but I think you all are still capable of that even though you're not yet married. Yeah. Can I have another follow-up question? Yeah. This is opening the door to dating. We may not get out of here until 7.30. This is great. <laughs> Glad you're excited. Um, um, so, it's a hard if question. you do want to do like a follow-up conversation, but you don't want it to be a romantic 
interest of any kind, would it be appropriate to like invite along another person? Sure. Yeah. yeah. To like pair up and like talk yeah. as a group. Yeah. For sure. Okay. Or yeah. even hang out as a group. Yeah. Chill. Look, yeah. let's just put a bridge policy in place that just because somebody talks to you, they don't want to marry you. Okay. Let's just <laughs> like, can we just put that in place across the board? Okay. <laughs> okay. But, 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 but they might, they might. So just keep your eyes open and watch your blind side. Here's the thing, unless the guy says to you, would you like to go out with me on a date? You can just continue to assume that it's a friendship yeah. and continue to invest in that friendship. And if it develops into a relationship, then that's great. And that's one thing. If it doesn't, then that's great. And that's another thing. Yeah. So I think we need to stop worrying about like, what does that mean? What did he mean when he said that? What did she mean when she said that? And just... Because you, you're going to know when you get into a dating relationship. It's not, like that, on it's not like that. It's not like that show. I didn't know I was long. pregnant when the woman's like nine and a half months pregnant and a baby comes out. And she's like, "Whoa! I had no clue." You're not gonna like wake up six months from now and have a boyfriend and be like, "Where did you come from?" What did? But that said, that but that then is on the men to have honest, intentional, directional conversations. DTR with young women. Yes, DTR. Define the relationship. If you are interested in a girl and you've been spending time with her in a group and she may think that something is happening, be specific. It's not, I mean, yeah. just say, I would like to date you. Yeah. So are you encouraging clear communication? Yes. Yes. Honesty <laughs> is always best. Yes. Because, you, yeah, because it sets you up for the rest of your life. If PJ and I had conversations the way that some of you all have conversations sometimes, like, it'd, it'd be ridiculous. It'd be absolutely ridiculous for you to watch. But. No, Nathan, you're not, by the way. Nathan texted me a private question, and I said no. Um, no. He, he did. It was just for us, but I was answering. Um, yes. No. I mean, yes, date. It's okay, but be clear and upfront. And girls, if you don't want to date the guy, it's okay to say, "Look, I, I don't, I, I don't dig your chili." It's okay. You like just whatever. Don't worry about it. It's just it a phrase. You like them, or you, you like, don't them. like them. Don't no yeah. I do. <laughs> Every time my wife makes chili, I'm like, "Hey, look, I dig your chili." It. It's true, but look, guys are tough. I was rejected so many times in my life. And then I found the one who said yes, and uh, Other people I'm yes. so thankful like <laughs> that you got rejected your whole life. Well, it wasn't like I was over, but <laughs> as a guy who's been rejected, I can tell you I'd rather be rejected than strung along. So, mm. yeah. like PJ, I was rejected a lot. Yes. <laughs> is, so take dating advice from us. So just know, like guys. Getting rejected the first time is the hardest, but from there it's just easier and easier. So it's That's like, true. That's true. it's one of those things where it's like, you just gotta kind of bite the bullet the first time, and like, if you get rejected, it happens to everybody, but the next time you get rejected, it's not gonna be so hard. And like, Adam and I are now fine physical specimens that we weren't, weren't at an earlier stage in our lives, so our wives got a much better version of us, but dude, in high school, no lie, my senior year, I had a buddy of mine stand like, at the corner of the, the locker hallway and ask every girl that walked by if she was interested in going out with me. Ofer. <laughs> yeah. That's, 
So date each other and be honest with each other. Yeah, just be direct. Or date, or date somebody from some, somewhere else. But yeah, there's so much angst and tension built up in this ministry that's like, I, I hate it when they talk about marriage because I, just, I just want to be me. And yet, I know you're all sitting there going, I wish I was married. I want a relationship. Why doesn't anybody want to be with me? Do you want us to pair you up? We'll do it. We'll mass marry next next right, weekend. Guys, raise your hand if you're interested in someone in this room. <laughs> All right, you're dating. That doesn't count. I'm joking. Don't do that. Dude. Yeah, wait a minute. Oh, I know. <laughs> yeah, look. I did online dating, by the way. No shame in it. Is that where you found Sydney? Cross paths. You guys ever heard of that dating app? Don't give me a no gosh. It works. I did not meet my wife on it, so I guess it doesn't work that well. But you learn things, right? Oh, 100%. Good things? Mostly. <laughs> Honestly, I'm not saying it's good for you to just like go date a ton of people, but I've been rejected a lot of times, and I've also been on a lot of first dates, and those are those can be awkward, but Were you, you rejected hone in a lot of what times? you're looking for. At least for me, I felt like that was really helpful. Oh, so no. then about that point, I was just okay. like, in the door, out the door, like I know exactly what I'm looking for. I'm like, no, no, yes, maybe, no. And then you just go from there until it sticks. Luis, how about you? Were you rejected a lot of times? Uh, <laughs> yes, by my wife. Uh, Whoa! Yeah. <laughs> he's persistent. Yeah. That was persistent. Hold on a second. Give him the microphone. We need this. <laughs> you proposed multiple times to I your did. wife? I, I did. Cat, what? And uh, yeah, she said no. <laughs> multiple times. Okay, so just so you guys know, when we had Isaac and Sammy up here earlier, that's the way it's supposed to go. <laughs> what happened? Three. It's three. No, it was three. So after, it was four. So three. Was it, was it the same three, ring? Three no's, and then, and then the fourth was a yes. Okay, was it the same ring, or did you go through like multiple... Were you like, well, maybe she doesn't like the princess cut. I need to go with the... No, no, no. Just pay more no, and more was, for a ring. It, it was the same, but yeah. She just kept rejecting me, but... That is an amazing story. Yeah. Kat, what finally wore you down? Yes, I know. This is why I'm amazed by this. What finally wore you down? I don't know. So wait, why did you say no the first time? If you don't have to answer if you don't want to. But you should. Because he wanted to date me or marry me like right when... We started dating. He's a decisive man. Like, You're psycho. It's called spiritual leadership. So why did you keep dating him after you said no? Figure we'll see what happens. <laughs> this is good. What other questions do you guys have? Maybe one or two more. How much did you pray about it after you said no? Oh, man, ten hours. So intense. She prayed. She prayed ten and a half hours. <laughs> what other questions do you guys have? No more questions, Sarah. No more questions from you. They're married now. End of story. <laughs> you can ask your questions offline. Other questions? That's amazing, by the way. <laughs> You're all thinking about dating and stuff. Nervous. Do our leaders have any questions? Maybe not everybody. How many times do you think you've been rejected, PJ? Enough. Look. Yeah, I'd count that. I, yeah. Enough. 
You took this picture. I know, I was just looking at it. Yes. I'm like, that's such a, oh, I took that. Yes. <laughs> it's this picture. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's an awe moment. She's a little terrified that I was going to drop it, but yes. But you're stronger than you look. I, yeah. <laughs> it's a compliment. And God's gracious that I didn't slip. Um, Kenny takes really good photographs, though. I don't know if you guys knew that. She does. She's awesome. Kenya, what's your Instagram? Follow. Hey, you guys, I don't have any followers. Plug the Insta. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have any followers. Can you guys all follow me? I follow you. I follow you. I like your pictures. I have 120. All right. Yeah, we need to go. I'm, I'm calling last call for a final question. Anybody have a final question that they want to ask? That doesn't have anything to do with dating or, or rejection or, or anything or else. Or horses. Although George. Is this George's name? Jake. I already forgot. How could I forget? Uh, i got to get off my high horse and remember it's Jake, not George. I would have named him George. What other questions do you have? One more. Come on. I know it's out there. It's bubbling under the surface. Alex? Is, Alex, is this a question worthy of like ending the night on, do you feel like? Uh, can we go to other places in Kaleidoscope than just the Union Market? <laughs> That's the best question so far. <laughs> Dude, you like, the, you like the pizza place. That wasn't my call, by the way. But I'm, I think it's... I don't judge. I'm yeah, just yeah, dude, you can go wherever you want after college group, but I'm not saying people are going to go with you. <laughs> doesn't matter for me. I, can, I just... Yeah. No, we, I think it's going to be good. I think you guys are going to have a great time there. Let's come down here. Guadalupe, you had one last question that, that you can ask. I have a question. Um, what is your question? And pardon my ignorance. Um... Because I was, uh, I was, uh, I was baptized as a Christian. Well, I baptized myself as a Christian, but I still have some in the back of my head. I still have some uh, battles of beliefs. Because I was a former student of a Jehovah's Witness. Right. And being in that religion was sort of felt like a cult. Um, it is a cult. Um, but one of the things that we were talking about as we were studying is that there is no hell or heaven. And he, they showed me a scripture on that. Um, now, you, we, as, as a Christian, now I believe in the hell and the heaven. But I don't have a form, a foundation, a strong foundation on on that because I was brainwashed <laughs> as a right. Jehovah's Witness, so it's sort of hard for me to get to the idea of now there is a hell in heaven. Yeah, so there is. In fact, Jesus talked more about hell than any other subject. So anybody who denies the existence of hell and claims to be a follower of Jesus has massive problems. Okay? So um, here's the thing that maybe we don't all realize, but did you guys know that hell is not eternal? Hell is not eternal. I got Mike Bryant's attention. He looked up at that. And let me explain what I mean. The Bible also refers to hell as Hades, right? Revelation 20, verse 13, the final judgment of Satan and the beast. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and hell gave up the dead who were in them. 
And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done, the dead. Then death and hell were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the eternal resting place of the damned. Just like heaven is not the eternal dwelling place of the believer. The new heavens and new earth, the new earth, the new Jerusalem is the eternal dwelling place of the believer. Heaven is a holding tank, if you will. Uh, Hell is a holding tank for, ultimately, the lake of fire, which is where they will spend all of eternity. So, yeah, Revelation 20 is the final judgment of, uh, of those that have rejected God. They're going to end up in the lake of fire. Uh, Jesus describes hell as a place where the flame never goes out and the worm never dies, um, where the, the smoke of their torment goes up day and night. So, uh, is hell real? Yes, very. Uh, is it uh, another false conception? We were talking about this last night in our worldview class, Sarah Stevens. Um, we, we were talking about hell as being eternal or not eternal, right? And we were talking about this idea of, of annihilationism, that you're just destroyed when you die, but that's, that's not the case. Um, that hell is a place that, that you suffer forever and ever and ever and ever. The other thing, here's a question for you. Who rules hell? Who rules hell? How many of you think Satan rules hell? Okay. He doesn't. You know where Satan rules? Satan's realm, Satan's dominion, you know where that is? It's here. It's the earth. God rules hell. People talk about hell as the absence of God. It's not the absence of God. God is very present in hell. What, is it, what does it mean that God is omnipresent? That he is present where? Everywhere. Is hell a literal physical place? Yes. Is God, if he is present everywhere, present in hell? Yes. How is he present in hell? He's present in hell and pouring out his wrath on sinners. And so God is in hell. It's the goodness, it's the grace, it's the mercy, it's the patience, it's the kindness of God that you don't see in hell. You see the holiness of God in hell. You see the justice of God in hell. You see the power of God in hell. You see the wrath of God in hell. That's what hell is. So, yeah, these misconceptions, what is it? Who's there? Who's not there? It's not Satan with a pitchfork and a pointy tail standing at the check-in desk. That's just a cartoon figure that has been a perversion of what hell actually is. So, yeah, Sarah. Reading. On hell? Yes. Oh, this is a cheery, Bible. a cheery way to end. Yeah, I mean, okay. honestly, I would say if you, if you read the Bible and you get a good, like if you go ESV study Bible, things like that, and when you come across the, the verses that talk about hell, look at the, the footnotes on there. Um, I don't know that there's really been a good book because it's probably not going to be a bestseller out there on like 10 mistakes people make about hell, right? Um, Could you look into it? Can I look into it? For us, yeah. I mean, yeah, I can. Like writing it or just no, it existing? Just like, like looking for something that exists. Yeah, but, but honestly, I think if you, if you just read the Bible and take the Bible at, at face value and take what Jesus says about hell, I think it's enough to, to scare us into realizing it's not a place we want to go. 
when he says it's a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth in outer darkness, when he says it's a place where the flame never dies and, or, or is never quenched and the worm never dies, it, that's a, 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 a pretty terrifying concept, right? When it's the lake of fire, um, that's a pretty terrifying concept. Uh, it's a place of sulfur and it's a place where uh, the, the, the torment of, those, of the unbelievers never ends. Um, when he says there's going to be more hope for Sodom and Gomorrah on that day than for those that witnessed Christ and rejected him. I mean, the, the, the measures, the degree of punishment that's going to be in hell is, is something that the Bible also develops there. Um, yeah? I have a question. So, um, so we're talking about like hell is like a holding place for everybody and then we're, then we're going to be putting the lake, lake of fire in there and we're talking about like Jesus is coming. Like, let's, let's use not we on that. I just would... <laughs> Right. Well, I just don't want you to say right. we're yeah, going to be put in the lake of fire. I, like, no, 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 but I'm following. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, for for sinners going into like the lake of fire and everything, and like for people like like living on this earth when Jesus comes back, like, how would like the rapture and the tribulation take into effect when the lake of fire is like already kind of just like already there? Like, would they have to go through the process first to get to the lake of fire? Okay, so rapture is only for believers, okay? Okay. So, yeah, let's, let's pull out some of these pieces here from that question. Rapture happens before the tribulation. Right. Rapture is Jesus comes back for the church. The church is caught up to be with him where he is, right? And, and we get that from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, that we will be caught up in the air to be with him, okay? The word rapture is not used, but that's where that doctrine comes from. We also get it from, uh, in the book of Revelation, in the letters to the seven churches, I can't remember which church it is off the top of my head, but he tells the church that they will be kept from the hour of trouble that is coming upon the whole world. That is clearly the, the tribulation that he's talking about there. And if the church is going to be kept from that hour, then that implies that we are not going to be here during the tribulation time. The tribulation is also referred to as a time of Jacob's trouble. Jacob is a, a moniker for Israel, right? So the tribulation is Israel's trouble. It's Israel's judgment, right? So the church is raptured. That begins the tribulation period. Because with the rapture of the church, the, what happens is the Antichrist r begins to, to rise to power, comes to power at that point in time. The Antichrist is going to bring peace in the midst of a time of chaos. And if you think about the rapture and how absolutely horribly chaotic that is going to be, that when you have Christian pilots and co-pilots that are no longer in the, the, the cockpit of the plane and planes are going down, when you have the accidents that are going to ha happen all over the world because all of a sudden Christian drivers are gone. When you have doctors who are doing open heart surgery who are Christians and then they're gone and the patient's on the table. When you have uh, wars that are being fought and there's Christians in key positions and then all of a sudden they're gone. This is going to be a time of unbelievable chaos and it's the beginning of God's judgment upon the entire world at the end. Well, there's going to be one that's going to rise to power that's going to begin to put the pieces back together during that time. That's going to bring peace in the midst of that chaos, and that is the Antichrist. And he's going to be looked to because he's going to unite people, and people are going to be willing to follow him because they're going to be so scared, and all of a sudden, here's going to be somebody that looks to be a stabilizing force. And one of the things that he's going to do is provide peace with Israel during that first three and a half year period of the tribulation. And that's when he's setting up his global economy. And that's when the mark of the beast gets introduced and, and so forth and so on. But then three and a half years in, he's going to break that, tr that, that truce with Israel. 
And that's the abomination of desolation that the, that the scriptures talk about. And for the last three and a half years, the people of God are going to be persecuted by the Antichrist and by his false prophet. The Christians that are on earth during that time who are saved after the rapture are going to be martyred and, and persecuted during that time as well. At the end of seven years, that's when the battle of Armageddon takes place. That's when Christ returns with all of us who have been raptured and with them, we're riding behind him and he gets down and all of the armies of the earth are gathered together in the Valley of Armageddon, which is in Israel. You can go today and see exactly where this is going to take place. And they're gathered together against Christ and against his armies. And Jesus comes back and ends it in an instant. One little word shall fell him, right? The song is true. It's over. There's not, when you read Revelation, the final battle is not a back and forth. It's a done. It's a Jesus comes back and destroys them, right? There's no, there's no contest. Then you've got the great white throne judgment that follows that. The great white, or you've got the millennial kingdom, sorry. Then you've got, which is the thousand year reign of Christ on earth, okay? Then you've got the, the great white throne judgment at the back end of that. The great white throne judgment is what we're looking at in Revelation 20. When death and Hades and everything else is emptied of all the souls that are in them and they come before the Lord and they receive their resurrected bodies because even unbelievers receive resurrected bodies that are immortal, those are going to appear before the Lord and he is going to condemn them into the lake of fire, which is the second death. Because they have immortal bodies, which all of us have, that's what Paul is referring to in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, what is sown perishable is raised imperishable. That's for believer and unbeliever alike. So those unbelievers are raised with imperishable bodies that are going to be cast into the lake of fire for all of eternity with the false prophet and the beast. And they're going to suffer there without end. So a lot in, in, in that, to answer your question, that's kind of the timeline. You've got the rapture. Let me give it from your perspective, left to right. You've got the rapture back here, okay? So the rapture happens. Then you've got the tribulation, the seven-year period, okay? Hell is still operating right now. So rapture tribulation, which is the seven-year period, hell is still in operation, okay, still is this quote-unquote holding tank, and then you've got the end of the tribulation, which is, is the, the, the battle of Armageddon, and then you've got the, the millennial kingdom, and then you've got, I'm messing this up, the, the, the last battle is at the end of the millennial kingdom, but Satan is bound during the millennial kingdom. This is, how did you ask this question at the very end of the night? <laughs> and then you've got the final battle and then the great white throne. Okay? So let me go back to this. Rapture, <laughs> tribulation, seven-year period, okay. right? You've got Christ returns, binds Satan for a thousand years and reigns on earth. Then you've got Satan unbound. He's let go. He gets all the people that don't like God angry. They meet at the, 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 battle, the valley of Armageddon to battle God. God comes back and destroys them on the spot. Then you've got the great white throne, and then you've got the new, new heavens and new earth. Yes. That's, I've always been like, really confused on the rapture. And, the and I just answered you in three different ways, so I probably confused yeah. you more. Yeah, no. It, it, I'm an auditory learner, so it made perfect sense. Great. Yeah. Everybody else is confused. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> rapture, tribulation. <laughs> Satan is bound. Christ reigns for a literal 1,000 years on earth. At the end of that 1,000 years, Christ unbinds Satan. Satan gets all of his armies together and goes to war against the Lord. The Lord wins that without there being a battle. 
great white throne, death and Hades give up all the souls that are in them. They receive their resurrected bodies when we receive our glorified bodies at the same time, and they will be cast into the lake of fire. We will be entered into the new heavens and the new earth. It's a recommended reading on that. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I, I have a recommended reading for that because my wife and I are going to start going through Revelation just so we have a better understanding of it because it's a lot and there's a lot of different answers to it. John MacArthur wrote like a little, uh, it's almost like a pamphlet. It's so short. It's, it's called a jet, a jet Tour Through the Book of Revelation, I think it's called. It's available for $3 on Grace to Use website, three bucks. I paid $6, like free shipping, and it came in like five days. And it's just concise. It's like a paragraph describing each uh, part of Revelation. So yeah, if you want to know more about that, just something that can kind of help you, give you more of like a wireframe as you read through Revelation. Also, and I don't know why I didn't suggest this earlier, but our pastor wrote a book called 10 Mistakes People Make About Heaven, Hell, and the Afterlife. If you guys haven't read this yet, you should. Um, this will help answer some of your questions. This is going to answer the question about is hell eternal or not? It's going to answer the question, is heaven a place where we float around on clouds with uh, cupid sashes and bows and arrows? We don't. Spoiler alert. So, Heaven, Hell, and the Afterlife by Pastor Mike Fabars. But yes, MacArthur's book on Revelation Jet Tour, and then he's got one that's a little bit thicker than that, that's essentially his, a lot of his commentary on the book of Revelation um, that's helpful as well. Yeah. Well, hey, thank you guys. Thanks for your questions. Um, if these sparked more questions or you're like, I, I had a question to ask as a follow-up, but I didn't want to ask it in front of everybody, you can come find one of us up here and just ask us uh, at this point. But plan is to go to y Union Market, uh, the kaleidoscope, in spite of Alex's objection, um, <laughs> to, to eat pasta, according to Nathan. I just love that you led with pasta. Like you've got a room full of college students who are thinking about boba tea and coffee, and you're like, dude, there's a good pasta place there, and I think they've got coffee and tea there too if you guys are into that. Most kind of, of us thing. are Italian in this room, right? Yeah. Just I'm really gonna take the type of noodle that you want and the type of sauce. Is this like a chipotle for Italians? <laughs> chipotle. Dude, we should start that. All right, um, hey, let me pray, and then uh, we will be done. God, thanks for tonight. Thanks for your word. Thanks for the truth that it contains and for the guidance that we have found therein. Uh, Lord, I know there's more questions in this room than were voiced, and so I pray that you would allow the students that have them to find the answers to those questions. Uh, Lord, that they would trust you, that they would trust that your word is sufficient to provide the answers, that they would, if they've got a relationship with you as their savior, that they would say that part of faith is, is believing you and believing your word. Lord, if they don't have a relationship with you, I pray that you would give them the knowledge that they need to have confidence that the gospel is true, that you are real, and that they need Jesus as their Savior. So Lord, do those things, we pray, for Christ's glory, for uh, your glory, and we pray this in, in Jesus' name. Amen.